Welcome to the Women Who Lead podcast, a place where we celebrate, connect, and develop every woman in her leadership journey. Thanks for coming along. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women Who Lead podcast. I'm Lisa Potter, your host, and I'm excited today to have a very special guest with me, Erin Santemeyer. And Erin and I go way back um, just because we grew up in the same area. And anyone, Erin, who grows up in Western Maryland, I feel like we have a heart connection. <laughs> true. Very, very true. True, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you're coming to us from Kenya today, right? Yeah. That is right. And- Nairobi, Kenya. Nairobi, Kenya, but Aaron Santemeyer is my guest. He's the author of uh, a new book that I'm halfway through reading that I love. It's called A Caring Life. And Aaron um, is a husband, father, a nurse practitioner, podcast host, and um, most importantly, a father of Jesus. But Aaron, just tell us a little bit more about you and your family, and welcome to the Women Who Lead podcast. Well, first off, it's an honor to be with you today and uh, to be on the other side of the mic. So you've been on the podcast I host twice, yes. and it's been an honor to have you on there. Um, just your wisdom and insight has been valuable for myself to learn from you and your book and to learn honestly, um, yeah, just from you and your leadership. And I'm a, I'm a fan of women leaders. And um, oh, I like in any way that I can to encourage, um, yeah, female leaders. I believe it's yeah. uh, it's the diversity is we're so much richer when we have a diversity yeah. at the table and specifically when it comes to leadership. So thanks for having me. Um, yeah, we're coming to you from Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, my wife, Heather, and I and our son, Josiah, now live here. My daughter, Isabel's back at Evangel. Uh, We're missionaries with the Assemblies of God, and we served in Burkina Faso for two and a half years. Then we served in uh, Madagascar for 14, and we've been here for about the last two and a half. So, but as you said, born and raised in Wally Ford, West Virginia, grand (laughs) metropolis of about 200 people. But um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Uh, Well, it's great to have you and just have this connection with you and like I said, growing up in the same area, people used yeah. to tease me. I would say I was from Maryland, which I am. And then I would tell them where, and they said, oh, so you're really from West Virginia. And I was like, <laughs> well, it takes me 10 minutes to get across to West Virginia, but I'm I'm actually from Maryland and I would like to stand on that. But <laughs> Very true. Yeah. yeah. It's like that tri-state, Pennsylvania, it Maryland, is. It West is. Virginia. Yeah. 10 minutes, you can be in either place, right? Yeah, <laughs> very unique. Minutes. Very, very unique. Well, this book that you've written, I just want to dive right in and talk about it, A Caring Life. Um, sure. I love your story in the beginning about how you started, you know, at, at Allegheny Community College, you know, right where exactly. that is, and yep. decided to be a nurse. And yep. um, tell a little bit about that story, just... So, you know, I, at Potomac Park Camp, I was 12 years old. I was called into missions. Um, you know, I, I'm from where we come from. So normally yeah. boys from Wally Ford, West Virginia, don't end up in Africa. But at the same time, I knew that's what God was calling me to do. At the same time, I grew up in a lower little middle-class family. My dad was a railroader. We had food on the table, but not a ton. And I knew one of the things that kept you from going to the mission field was debt. And so uh, practicalities, I thought I'll go to ACC, um, Allegheny Community College, become a nurse, and then I'll use that as we go forward. 
But as I jumped into it, I went into nursing for all the wrong reasons. I went in it to make money and it was a portable profession. At the same time, uh, the heart of caring um, was instilled. Um, I talk in a book about Susie Tasker Weaver, who's related yeah. to John May at the district office. She spoke heavily into my life at that time. Just the idea of, you know, nursing is walking with someone as they go through a disease process. Medicine is more treating a disease. And this, not that one's better than the other, but it's a little different focus and focusing on the person. So it was a challenge. Honestly, it's probably one of the hardest years of my life. Um, I was, it was me and another young lady from Garrett County. Uh, we mm. were the high school students that went in. Most of the people in our class were 15, 20 years older than us, life experience, um, but just learned a lot about caring. And it's been the track I've been on ever since. So didn't go into it for maybe the right reasons, but it had a profound impact on my life. Yeah, yeah. There's this quote in your book that actually um, you talk about Susie and how yeah. you show up in the class and you realize I'm there for the wrong reasons because she talks yeah. about how nursing is a compassionate um, yeah. profession. Right. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And for, and for me, like I said, I was there to make money. I yeah. was there to get to an end. You know, the goal was to get to be a missionary, mm -hmm. but at the same time, just the heart and the compassion that was needed. And I was immature. I, you know, I was 18 mm -hmm. years old. Um, you know, I, I'll never, anyway, I don't want to go down that, that road, but <laughs> you know, you do a lot of things in nursing school that you never would imagine you would do. And as an yeah. 18 year old, I'm thinking, how did I end up here? You know what I mean? Yeah. Just from changing bedpans to you can imagine, but going into it with a heart of caring and focusing mm -hmm. on the person and developing trust and, and rapport with them so you could care through them. Um, yeah. in their time of need. And so 2020 happens, right? You're, you're like way beyond nursing school. This is a sure. profession of yours, but it has also opened doors into other countries, your uh, U.S. missionary, world mission, your world missionary for the Assemblies sure. of God, and you talk about how you start to read this book, and yeah. 2020 happens, and it kind of shifts you into this. Um, your family set a midlife crisis, and I yeah. appreciate that because um, one of my favorite songs is Joel Houston writes this song called "The Highlands." that hmm. I love. It's one of my favorites. It's a modern day hymn, but yeah. he talks about how he was going through a spiritual midlife crisis. And yeah. this song comes out of this, like he actually goes to Scotland, spends time in the Highlands. Hmm. And when you listen to that song, after hearing his story of searching yeah. for God and searching for another understanding of this spiritual life, and what came out of it, it really changes everything. And so I want you to connect that for us, like that sure. story of 2020 yeah. happens, you start to go through this thing, you're reading this book, and yeah. just share that story. Yeah, so for me, you know, 2020, even leading into it, probably the closing part of 2019 into 2020, I just found myself at a, a season of frustration, discontent, uh, irritation. I don't know. It was just not a necessarily a happy place to be. And then walking through that, just wondering, you know, I'd spent the last 20 years of my life investing and in caring for other people. Um, and I, it was a point to say, what, what am I doing? Do I want to do this for the next 20 years of my life? Has it been worth it? Have I, you know, I think sometimes the enemy 
um, he makes us very myopic in our view. And so we can, we can only see today and you're not mm -hmm. seeing the impact of the, that you've had in people's lives. And so it, in that, in that season, I wasn't seeing that. All I was seeing is, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I've just done with the last 20 years of my life, but, and do I want to do this again? And reading through Brett Johnson's book, where he talks about your nat natural talents, acquired abilities, and your spiritual giftings. And so just going through a season of prayer and um, asking people to speak into my life, what do you see in, in me, God? What, what are the natural talents you gave me? What are the acquired abilities? Natural talents are things we're born with, you know, the things that people recognized us at, at a young age. Acquired abilities are the things we go, we get education in, we get training in, we develop, mm -hmm. and then our spiritual giftings. Um, you know, those are the things we all know when we give our heart to Jesus. Um, after that time, he, he imparts spiritual giftings to each and every person that gives their heart to Jesus. And so, and he doesn't do that willy nilly. He's just not like, hey, I'm going to give you this specifically. You know, it, it's encouraging for me just to get back to the God gave me those gifts for me, not because I'm more important, but he gave each of us. And just knowing that we have that value in God's sight, that he's given us that spiritual gifting. And then just walking through that. And um, through that, realizing that caring was, you know, my natural talent. It was my acquired ability, and it was my spiritual gifting um, that God had placed in my life. And then being willing and having the courage to embrace that and not reject that. And I think that's the that's that season of discontent or maybe midlife crisis was: Am I going to embrace who God's made me to be and follow that, or am I going to reject that and try to go another way? And so kind of, that's where I was at. Mm. And but from it came this birthing of your book, you know, yep, uh, sure. a caring life, and yep. and the sum of your personal journey, your spiritual yep. journey, uh, yep. your life journey. I love that because the collective journey—that's what that is for me. Exactly. You know, it's, uh, it's it's a it's a life work, basically a yep. process of what um, what God has been doing in my life. But you yep. wrote wrote the book on caring, and how has caring really impacted your family? You know, I think that's, uh, well, just one little caveat. The other reason I wrote the book is, is I love to tell stories. And so at least now they're on paper and I'm a Pentecostal guy. And so sometimes my stories can grow. So now they're on paper now and I can't, they can't grow. I can't be an evangelist that they are what they are. But as far as caring, impacting our family, um, you know, probably just in the last three or four years, I was on the road actually near the headquarters with my mom in the car one day, and she began to talk about our, our family history. So my dad, the Santa Meyer um, side of the family, my grandmother was born and raised um, in Morgantown, West Virginia, and a low and a poor family. And, um, you know, early 1900s, right there where the university's at seeing those people walk by the university, but never having, knowing that she would never have the opportunity to go there. And so, you know, the family, my, would have been my great grandfather left the family, left seven children, um, basically with the, the rest of the month's rent that he had paid, that was it. And they were out, they didn't have a place to live. Um, they end up in, in an apple orchard. And just as I see behind you with those nice fall leaves, they're really nice when you're inside. But as you know, and I know in the mountains in October, November, it starts to get cold at night. And um, they were in this orchard. The, the guy that owned the orchard told them they could have they didn't have food. He said, you can eat the apples that fall to the ground. So I think they brushed up against the trees and kind of shook the trees to get the apples to fall. Um, but there they were. And one of the, the things 
that my grandmother, when she would tell the story, it came to the point that they had burned all their possessions to stay warm. And the last thing they had to burn was her baby doll. And um, the profound impact that had on her when she would even to that day telling the story was just uh, unbelievable. And so there they are. They're in this in this situation. And um, my aunt, uh, my aunt Sylvie, um, she saw this advertisement um, for this uh, harvest um, picnic. It was an indoor picnic at a church in Morgantown. And um, she was invited. And uh, she went to the pastor and said, you know, we don't go to the church here, but I'd love to come for the food. He said, hey, I'd love for you to come for morning service. And then you can stay for the picnic. And then we have an evening service. So she went and that morning it, it changed the trajectory of our family from this pastor in this church caring for my for my my aunt at that time. And so she went, she was saved in the morning, um, went to the picnic, got filled with the baptism of Holy Spirit that evening in the evening service. And she went back to the orchard to tell the family of the great news. Now, they weren't so excited to hear the great news, but her life had been changed and they couldn't deny that. They couldn't deny, you know, that she was not the same person that went in the morning that came home at night. And the church gathered around the family, got my great grandmother they and the family out of the orchard, gave them a place to live, walked beside them through a very difficult time. And as I tell in the book, it, it impacted their trajectory of our family. I do not believe without that church at that time, caring for my, for my family. They never knew me. They never knew my dad. They never knew any, any, the rest of the story, but they knew them. And um, I share that, you know, when I got, I graduated with my, my doctor in nursing practice from WVU, and I got to stand and address the, the class of, of students about the impact that we have and the lives we come back in, come in contact with, and their lives matter beyond measure uh, forever you know, their eternal, that eternal impact. Um, and so that was the story. So that's the story of how one church um, impacted my family's trajectory that allowed my, my, you know, the grandchildren of my grandmother to be able to graduate from the university that she never imagined she'd have the opportunity to do all because they took the time to care for a family in need. Wow. That's a powerful story, you know, and uh, as we look at that and the foundation of your heart and I know your family, so the yeah. trajectory that how that shifted and changed everything, it makes me think um, in a busy world that we live in now with a lot of technology and um, I will go to places, Aaron, and watch everybody in a waiting room with their head down, not even knowing and aware that I walked into the room on their phones. Um, So at a time when we need to be Jesus with skin on, we need to be caring for others. We're really hooked into our technology and our phones and all of that. Uh, Do you think that does impact how we care for each other? It does impact how we see. I think we've become, I share in the book, and I don't know who said it, someone smarter than me, but we're engaged (laughs) in monologues, not dialogues. And this idea that we're, it becomes centered around me. And you and I know if our life is just focused on me, it becomes very, very small. And mm-hmm. I think that in that season of life and back to when I was going through that midlife crisis, that was one thing that God really spoke to me. Do you want your life to be about you, Aaron? Do you want it to be all about you? And you can mm-hmm. make it that way. 
but it's going to be very small. And when you die, there's going to be very little impact. And so I think as we look at technology, there's great things. I'm not saying get rid of technology. I, we wouldn't have this conversation tonight if it wasn't for technology. You know, there's yeah. some, there's many things that are valuable about it. I am concerned about the trajectory we're on when it comes to loneliness and isolation, which I think is one of the plagues mm. of our day. Um, you would think that we're more connected than we ever have been. But the people that I come in contact, one of the heart's cries is feeling lonely and uh, they don't see, feel seen. They don't feel that, that mm -hmm. they're known. They don't feel that they matter. They don't feel that they belong. And mm -hmm. as they struggle with those things, it, it, because of our focus on technology and what God convicted me of, and it's in no way to convict other people of just me personally is, Aaron, if you would take the amount of time that you're using with your technology, whether that's social media, whatever, and actually take that time to allow those those opportunities to see people, um, I'll give you opportunities to care for them and you can mm. walk in it. And um, and so that's just, like I said, that's my conviction. I'm not trying to put yeah. my conviction on somebody else, but that's what God has really spoke to my heart about is, yes, use technology for what it is. But at the same time, don't forget about seeing people and having a life impacted to impact those people. Yeah. Um well, how do you do that practically? Like, I know there are times where I, I'm just like, I'm phone free and, and I feel the need to announce it sometimes on social media, yeah. like, Hey, I'm not going to be, or I'm not da, 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 or turn my phone off. I practice, sure. you know, spiritual prayer retreating and sure. Sabbaths. And those are yeah. technology free days for me, yeah. but how do you do that practically? Like, do you make sure when you're headed to the store. You're not yeah. like, you're just noticing people like give us yeah. some practical points there. For me, for me, my life revolves probably more around emails and podcasts than it does around Facebook, Instagram, and those things. Mm -hmm. So some disciplines I placed in my life is, and people will tell you, I am more like Jesus between eight and eight. So 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. I'm more like Jesus. So I, I try to guard that time in the morning. I don't, my phone's not there when I wake up. These are not new things, but for me, they work. And so I don't look at my phone until eight. Uh, people that know me know they can call me, but if they need me, but at the same time, I'm not going to check WhatsApp or all the messaging things until eight. That gives me time to spend with Jesus. And then I check my phone at eight, two, and five. And those are the times of the day wow. that I've set aside to check my phone um, for my emails, messages, and those type things. So it's three times a day. And then that keeps me off of it. I might listen to a podcast in the car or whatever, but I'm mm -hmm. not connected to it in the store or wherever I'm at looking down at it because I know at eight, two and five and the people in my life know yeah. I will respond at eight, two and five or around, you know, 15, 20 mm -hmm. minutes around there. Um, it's a rhythm of life that really works for me. And I don't, and the other thing is 8 a.m. on Saturday, I answer all the things I need to. And then mm -hmm. I'm not back on until 8 a.m. Um, Monday. Um, and that gives me some time specifically on the weekend with my family and with Jesus. And um, it's just a specific time set aside. And the amazing thing, Lisa, is this. The world has not fallen apart. The right? world has not missed. The world has not missed Aaron. Um, you know, in the beginning, I, I thought I was obviously more important than I really am. I help a lot of people with their medical things yeah. with missionaries and they can get in contact with me. They can call me. I'll answer the phone, mm -hmm. but I'm just not focused on the the actual, you know, the media apps. And it's worked for me. And, and I think everyone has to figure out what works for them. 
But having that discipline has given me the opportunity to really see people and to to focus mm-hmm. on people and have those opportunities for those divine appointments. Yeah. Thanks for sharing the practicality of that, because I think as leaders, we often um, don't look at um, setting the boundaries or um, even when a world around us is pushing a 24-7 connection to people, to things, to information. It and but for me, it often becomes information overload. And it it affects how I minister if I don't step away from the information, you know, um, to where my my heart can rest, my mind can rest. I practice every morning when I get up um, 15 minutes of silence, like just Mm. grab my coffee, head into my favorite chair where my Devo, my Bible's waiting on me. But I sit for 15 minutes of just meditating on God. It's not like I'm reading more information from the Bible. I'm not, I'm just in a space of listening and hearing um, and and loving the Lord, you know, loving God Mm. in those moments before I even put more information in. Um, So thanks for giving that practical part of it. You mentioned something in the question when I said about technology, but you used the word, you said, what you hear a lot in what you do um, yeah. um, as a world missionary, but in the context of the medical profession is that people are lonely and they feel isolated. So here we yeah. are, we're connected to information 24 seven, but we're lonely and we're isolated. And I hear yeah. that a lot in female leaders as well. Sure. They're feeling this isolation they're they're lonely they have people around them all the time but they don't have like vital um heart to heart relationships that help them to grow and be better and so when you write about caring um you focus on mattering belonging and being known so sure. just go a little deeper for us in that so yeah great great lead in so chip dodd um he writes he writes we can put the link dr chip dodd he's taught me a lot about this um i worked he was a counselor for me for a while um i've read his books um needs of the hearts uh different ones but he spoke to me and basically it comes down to the basic two human needs are belonging and mattering mm-hmm. and i think 2020 people, it was a challenge for them, at least for world missionaries. And I would assume it would be in the US when you tell, I think it was John Ashcroft that said, when you tell 90% of the world's population, they're non-essential, it really shakes you, right? Because that's what we told people, 90% of the people you need to stay home because what you do is non-essential. And the other 10%, they're essential. But it really kind of shook me because it makes you feel like, do you really matter? Do what I what I am doing, does it really matter? And it's not necessarily what I'm doing. It's who I am. So when I walk into, I, into the room and you see me and I see you, do we really matter for who Lisa Potter is and who mm-hmm. Aaron Sandmeyer is? Regardless of what we do or what titles we have or whatever education we have, do we really matter? Obviously, we believe that because we're followers of Jesus. We know that he gave us dignity and we matter because of what he's done in our hearts and in our lives. And so focusing in and letting people know, and I think caring gives us a, a great way in to do that, to let people know that they matter, um, that they belong. I think the thing for missionaries at that time, realizing we're overseas, um, we don't look like the people that we're working with. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, when I was in Madagascar, 
we they thought that it was the Ameri- people like me that were bringing COVID. And so all of a sudden you realize you really don't belong here. Um, and not that they didn't want you, they didn't want us to come to church. And I understand the pastors not wanting us to come, but they said, if you come and people get sick, it's going to be the white people who brought that to mm-hmm. us and the missionaries. And then we're going to have all kinds of problems. So you really began to realize that I don't really know if I belong here. And mm-hmm. I think that's natural for each of us as we walk into a church, into a community, into a family, do we f- really feel like we belong and that people want us to be there. They desire for us to be there. Yeah. And um, and then the last one being known, that's Dick Foth. And um, yeah. Dick Foth is a good friend. And Dick has just ta- taught me about getting to know people. And um, one, I think one of his favorite questions is, is what did you like to do as a kid? And what was it like growing up where you grew up? And amazing, just, I've started using that question. Yeah. And it's amazing how people will really, We'll share. It's uncommon. I mean, I and I even on podcasts, I'll ask people that question. They're like, "Where did that come from?" Um, but it be, it puts them in a different place at a different time, and it yeah. really kind of gives you an insight to who they are and mm-hmm. get really getting to know them. Um, I think we talk yeah. about professions and what we do, um, mm-hmm. you know, our influence, but it does just a question like that. It I think really shows. I want to get to know you. You know, I mean, it doesn't benefit me to know what you did as a kid. It doesn't benefit me in any way, but it does help me know who you are and what shaped you um, to where you are today. So that's why I focus on. So those two men, their influence in my life, Dr. Chip Dodd, Dick Foth, letting us focus on belonging, mattering, and known. And I think as we care for people, if we do it well, and we do it intentionally, they feel like they belong. They feel yeah. like they matter. And they feel like that they're known. And so that's that's why I focused on those on, on those three things in the book. Wow. That's great, Aaron. And as you were talking, I was thinking about how um, in the collective journey, I asked the question, how is it with your soul? And, mm. uh, you know, and that being known part, like if you're asking, where did you come from? What did you, you yeah. know, where did you live? It's it it's that question that takes us off of our professional response. And it's the same thing here in um, America. I don't know how it is around the world, but you know, a big question we ask as soon as we see everybody, we'll say, hello, how are you? You know, (laughs) and we can fudge that. We can say, I'm good, you know, but if I ask you, how is it with your soul today? You, you have to take a moment to reflect on that and hopefully it will spar you into a truthfulness that yeah. re- causes me to respond in a caring way, in a yeah. manner that is not just flippant or usual, but it gets yeah. us out of that. And so I love just what we've been talking about, you know, um, just starting with how the caring impacted your family, that story of how it's impacted generations. I'm all about that, you know, uh, what we do today impacts the generations that are coming behind us, but then we are products of those who went before us. And that's all about being a bridge builder and, um, and just the impact on caring um, and being known, the mattering, the belonging, the being known, my goodness, that has changed me because as you said that I was like, yes, you know, 
the mattering belonging and being known that matters even to me, you know, it matters yeah. to me and just yep. the little nudges that we do to care. And so this is going to be a part one for us, Aaron, and I'm going to kind of pause, but I hope everybody comes back continuing with Aaron Santemeyer. Uh, we're going to talk again about his book, A Caring Life. Thank you, Aaron, for this part one. And it's been a great conversation thus far. I can't wait to dig a little deeper with you. Thank you for the honor. I really appreciate it.